This, this is the Second Second Story Podcast. Welcome back to the Second Story Podcast. Today we feature Lizzie Dzinski. Lizzie's story contemplates the heaviness and lightness of being, both of which can be unbearable, the effect of butterfly wings on hurricanes, and the virtues of letting go. Recorded live at Pub 626 in November 2016, Second Story presents Lizzie Dzinski. things I've done at two in the morning. Binge watched Netflix shows for one, worried about my credit score, googled things I should never be googling, see brain-eating amoebas or instances of leprosy in the modern world. I fantasized about kidnapping all the yappy dogs in my neighborhood and driving them clear across town. But hunching over my iPhone while my husband sleeps beside me, studying the faces of another woman's twin children, well, this is altogether new to me. I lean back against the headboard, angling the phone so that the blue light pools over one side of Ben's face. The breeze from the open window flutters a curtain across his waist and then slowly sucks it back against the screen. Do they look like him? I rule out the girl, too lanky, too soft in the face, the nose is all wrong. They're 11 years old, white-haired and pale, which is surprising to me because once Ben told me the father was from Ghana. (laughs) Clearly, he doesn't have the story straight. I go back and forth about the boy. Ben snores. The cat sidles up to me and squints. I decide to find the boy too beady-eyed to be blood-related. The cat, I sense, sighs in relief. (laughs) Once in fifth grade, I repeated to my class a scientific theory I'd picked up from my whack job older cousin. It went something like this. Here on Earth, we're living one version of our lives. On another planet and another galaxy, our doppelgangers are living out a second version of our existence, almost a complete clone of the first, but slightly edited. Say, on planet A, you marry the love of your life, a blonde, doe-eyed woman named Anne. You live happily ever after. On planet B, you still marry Anne, but later, later find out she's been cheating on you and is pregnant with another man's twins. You get divorced at 24 and marry again at 31, this time to a woman who likes to Google your ex-wife at 2 in the morning. <laughs> Obviously, I'm living on Ben's planet B. When I find his ex-wife's blog, it becomes a wormhole, linking planet B to this long, mysterious planet A. For years, I've been living with this woman's stuff, a dresser I've packed with my own clothes, her crate and barrel dishes, her cats. I've never met her. Heck, it's years before I even unearth a clear photo of her. But now, I'm mesmerized by her kids. I stare at this image of them dancing in a living room, her in a scrawny, slick back bun, and him in a turtleneck and a bowl-shaped haircut that's much more fitting for a toddler than a preteen. You shouldn't exist, I want to say to them. Something in the universe flickered by accident and they appeared, two beating dots on an ultrasound, 
One blip and their lives were thrown into orbit with mine. When Ben first tells me about Anne, I can feel his hand sweating through my jeans on my thigh. We're at this neighborhood bar, two pints on the table between us, the raw winter air snapping at my back each time the door opens behind me. I have my heels hooked over the metal rung of my stool, and I'm leaning in so hard, half of me worries I'll slip right off this vinyl seat and onto the floor. I really like this guy. He's smart, and he's sweet, and I think he's so handsome that at work I'm mortified to find myself daydreaming and moony-eyed in the middle of a staff meeting. More than once. <laughs> so when he puts down his drink and he says to me, I think you should know something about me, my heart pumps in double time. I feel my peripheral vision short out so that I just see him in a sort of spotlight sitting there with the sheepish demeanor of someone about to disclose an STD or a criminal background or worse. I'm divorced, he says, with his shoulders visibly tightening. The spotlight loosens on him and the edges of the bar, of the bar come back into view. Oh, I say, that's okay, he breathes out. The summer before our wedding, Ben spends his weekends out on the back steps building me a pair of bookshelves. That's love, isn't it? <clears throat> it was weeks of sawdust in my tomato plants and afternoons punctuated by the shriek of the buzz saw and then the inevitable thump of the wood against the landing. When I think of that summer, I remember endless trips to the hardware store, the sharp smell of varnish, the constant washing of clothes. The night we maneuver the first shelf inside, stack one piece atop the other until it stands just inches below the ceiling, we laugh nervously. We stand back, surprised by its enormity, afraid maybe we had made a mistake. Next to it, I'd, I've never felt so dwarfed, so insignificant and wonderfully small. It takes hours and a step stool to fill it, Beers in hand, the waves of passing cars, and the wind in the trees drifting in from an open window. Eyeing the last remaining shelf, Ben suggests we take pressure off the closet, and he comes bounding into the living room with a box he's retrieved from the top shelf. Let's just store this here, he says. We have the space now, right? This is the Ben way moving boxes from space to space, apartment to apartment, without ever opening them up to see what he's hanging on to. He hoists that box up to the shelf and I intercept it, grabbing at his elbow. For the love of God, I say, can we see if it's even stuff worth saving? He rolls his eyes, flips open the lid as he balances the box on his thigh, and then there it is. Nestled amongst copies of National Geographic from 1986, his wedding band. <clears throat> I get this clear visual of my lungs deflating, squeezed tightly as if shrink-wrapped, wringing out every last ounce of air. I can literally feel my heart beat in my fingertips as I reach for that blue Tiffany's box and roll that ordinary silver band between fingers and thumbs. It's the scratches that pain me, the loyalty of wearing this thing day to day, accumulating tiny hatch marks while washing dishes or fixing his car, riding the L, what have you. I know he threw it, 
and hit the wall beside her and I look for a dent or a nick that will say, this is the place. This is the place where you became a possibility. In my maddest moments, I have this dramatic fantasy of filing for divorce, <laughs> of handing Ben my wedding ring and saying ridiculously, this is just too heavy for me to wear. <laughs> Or maybe I die tragically, and after years of grieving, he marries someone else. Would she move into my house? Would she rifle through my old medical bills and crumpled receipts the way I have done? Would she find letters and photos of me smiling with her husband, his nose pressed against my forehead and eyes wrinkled in laughter? When you marry a divorcee, it's natural to consider yourself an upgrade. Kinder, smarter, obviously prettier. <laughs> and with only her leftover stuff to define her, feeling superior to Anne was always easy. Before the blog, she had no face and just one story. She was a cheater who had messed up royally and bailed. It was easy to hate her. It felt natural, like my responsibility as wife number two. <clears throat> On that night when I discovered her blog while laying in bed, my hatred reached peak levels. It didn't help that she was beautiful and funny and smart. I listened to the 1252 train roll into the station down the block and I promised myself one more page, one more page and then I'll go to sleep. You can guess what happened. I hit the end of the blog just as the sun started to peek through the trees outside my window long after the last train had come in for the night. What was I doing? What was I even looking for? At one point, I thought maybe I was wolfing down her words just looking for any mention of Ben. If she acknowledged him, I would be possessive. What right did she have to him? If she hinted at regret, I would be defensive. She made her bed, time to lie in it, right? But there was no mention no hinting, no evidence of their life together, just the faces of these two children she tried to pass off as ordinary. But they are anything but ordinary to me. In one way, these 11-year-olds are the two most critical players in my adult life. Without them, where would I be? Without them, would he have stayed? I was not a bridezilla, ask anyone. I just wanted to marry Ben. I didn't care about the other stuff. I painted my nails in my wedding dress above the church, waiting for the ceremony to begin. Moments before walking down the aisle, I picked jewelry off my three sisters, realizing I'd never planned beyond my dress. I wasn't even going to get my own wedding dress in the first place, just shorten the one my sister had worn months earlier. My attitude was so laissez-faire that, in a panic about the reception, my mother secretly hired caterers the week before. And the wedding registry? Friends and family did not get it. My argument, why register for a whole slew of items only to replace the stuff Ben already had? My mother's counter. Why spend your whole life eating from another woman's dishes? 
Anne's trail of husbands puzzles me, each new partner a complete departure from the last. The latest, Joe, is 15 years her senior. He has, a, he has long hair and what looks like an accidental beard, grown <laughs> without any input on his part. His skin is rough and ruddy, and there are far too many photos of him wearing an oversized Hawaiian button-down. His belly hangs loose over his jeans. I can't help but blink at my computer screen. I'm at my kitchen table, coffee cooling in a mug at my elbow, cats purring at my feet. Outside, the day is in full swing. Buses running, school kids shouting, the neighborhood dogs at it again. I look at Joe on my laptop, and the idea occurs to me. I should say something. I don't need to stay silent. There has to be catharsis in anonymous internet commenting. I mean, why else would anyone do it? It's like throwing an invisible punch. Your rival never sees you, but feels the sting of you. There's no honor in it, but whatever at this point. <laughs> My arms tingle with mounting energy. Am I angry? Jealous? I can't even tell. I just feel this all-encompassing need to lash out at this woman, to knock her down a peg. I feel like if I can channel this all through my fingertips and into words, I'll be able to, I'll be able to, I'll be able to what? And then it hits me. Let her go. There's, there's part of me that wants so badly to believe in the idea of my cousin's multiverse. The idea that our choices cause splinters across our existence. The truth is, it's a comforting thought to believe in planet A and planet B. It's like facing every leap of faith cushioned by a safety net, secure that no defining moment can ever break you. Choose A or choose B, it doesn't matter. Both options continue to exist. Life, as they say, goes on, but in two separate dimensions. I realize this is the philosophy of weirdos everywhere, but it makes sense. If this is your reality, you never truly make mistakes. Somewhere in another galaxy, you have a backup plan. So while I never got the last word with Anne, there's a piece of me that wants to believe there are versions of me out there who did. Alternate versions who are reckless enough to take action. I used to think those versions of me would be tougher, wiser, braver, but as my blog reading tapers off and I once again settle into a life she left behind, I'm learning this, that sometimes there's just more bravery in letting go. Lizzie's story was curated by Andrew Riley. She was directed by Dorothy Milne, and the sound design was by Nick Kawahara. The second story is supported in part by the Chicago Community Trust, the MacArthur Funds for Arts and Culture at the Richard H. Treehouse Foundation, the Gaylord and Dorothy Donnelly Foundation, a city arts grant from the City of Chicago Department of Cultural Affairs and Special Events, the Arts and Business Council of Chicago, the Arts Work Fund for Organizational Development, and many generous individuals like you. I'm Nick Kawahara. And this, this is The Second, second Story Podcast.